Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, mother-daughter team, Dr. Gloria and Dr. Heidi Horsley. This show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio. We are talking about finding resilience to cope, and our second guest is going to be Barbara Rubel. Barbara Rubel's journey began when her father, a retired New York City police officer, died by suicide while she was pregnant with triplets. Barbara's desire is to help others to focus on personal growth and the art of resilience when coping with tragedy. She is the author of But I Didn't Say Goodbye, Helping Children and Families After a Sudden Loss and Death, Dying, and Bereavement. Welcome to the show, Barbara. Thank you. Wonderful to be here. It's great to have you on the show, Barbara. Well, Barbara, um, let's see, how old are the triplets now? They are 23 years old. Wow, three wow. boys, right? Three boys, and then when they were three, I got pregnant again, so I have four sons. Ah, bless you, Barbara. <laughs> <laughs> so there you were in the hospital 23 years ago, and uh, who delivered the message to you that your father had died? Well, the year was 1986, and although the warm sun was shining through the windows of my hospital room, truly it was the darkest and coldest day of my life. Mm-hmm. It was the day that my father, who, as you said, uh, was a retired New York City police officer, shot himself in his head. My husband came into the room and told me that he killed himself. He used my mother's gun. She, too, was a retired New York City police officer. Wow. Yeah, they met on the force, as a matter of fact, in Coney Island, New York. Uh And my mother was one of the first New York City female police officers in in the state of New York. And sadly, he had deteriorating discs, could not live with the pain, and he shot himself. Now, were your parents married at the time? My parents, uh, yes, because this happened in 1986, and they were married in the 1950s. And they got married um, at a time when uh, very few police officers were marrying each other. There were very few females on the force. So they were really dynamic, interesting, wonderful people. And sadly, he could not live with the deteriorating discs. The pain was too great, and he ended his life while I was in the hospital about to give birth to triplets. Wow. I'm surprised you could keep him hearing that. Mm -hmm. I mean, that must have been... You know, uh, a shock to the body. A shock to the body, mind, and spirit. Every single part of who I was was changed. The fiber of my being was changed when I heard that my father was dead. And how could he do this to himself when he's about to become a grandpa? Mm -hmm. And that was one of the responses of many. Well, why didn't he wait till after the babies were born? Well, is there any, is there ever a good time to kill yourself? Right, and and you weren't able to go to the funeral? No, I could not attend the funeral. I could not attend any of the rituals that are so significant after a person dies. Could not be there for my mom, for my family. So it was an, an extremely difficult time. And Barbara, did you feel like, I know there was so much focus on, I've got to keep these three baby boys healthy and in a good place. And w- did you feel like you had to put your grief on hold at all so that Absolutely. you could focus on the babies? You are right on target. I felt like these babies are in utero, and I needed to be mommy right there and then and protect my sons from the intensity of the grief. But what happened was I'm an artist, and I love to paint. And it was about two or three weeks into my grief. I'll never forget the first time I painted after they were born. I set up my watercolors, 
and I painted my picture. It was a beautiful flower. I was almost done. My hand slipped, and the water grass spilled, destroying my art, and suddenly everything fell into place. My grief was the blending of colors. And in that moment, I realized, you know, I'm not dealing with stages and phases and all this stuff that I've been reading about. It's just this blending of emotions and thoughts and behaviors and physical and spiritual reactions. Everything became blended together and was absolutely devastating. And the suffering really was intense. But it was a blending of color. And that's how I created this concept of palette of grief, based on what I felt in this blending of all my reactions at one time. I love that metaphor, don't you, Mom? I do, indeed. It is so true for what happens. Like you said, it's not nice and neat and tidy. It's it's a blending of all these things together at the same time. And some of them will be um, different colors, darker than others or whatever. You know, um, Heidi and I have talked about, you know, the stages and the, the rigidity people want to deal with, um, particularly out in the uh, mental community or the medical community. It's an easy way to talk about it, and it's it's just ridiculous. It doesn't make sense, and that's why we as the grieving folk become so confused because we read that we're supposed to do it this way, and so we may believe we're not doing it right. And sometimes we put it on our partner or our children or whatever. They're not grieving right. They're not angry. You know, what's going on here? You know, they need to do that. Or why why are they back in anger? Why are they going backwards? Oh, absolutely correct. That's exactly what happens. I facilitated a suicide survivor support group for several years here in New Jersey, and family members would come in and say, well, my husband's not grieving because he has not cried. Mm-hmm. Well, that doesn't mean he's not grieving. Right. He just hasn't cried. He might be an instrumental griever. Everybody grieves in their own way. Yep, or they may be building something or doing something. Or oh, yeah. We find a lot of men like to do. That's right. That right. So that's why I've created this metaphor, palette of grief, which is basically a phrase or an image that compares two things. If you if you think about the road not taken, that Robert Frost poem, he used a metaphor to compare life to a journey along a road, and the fork in the road is a symbol that represents the choice people make in their lives. So palette of grief metaphor is a symbol that describes grief. And I've heard kids describe grief as a tornado, and adults describe many, say it as a journey. I call and it a tantrum. A ta- oh, <laughs> oh, outstanding. Because well, we're no, told we just, that if we want something badly enough, we can get it. And we live in America, and this is the land of the home and the brave and the free, and we should be able to get what we want. Yeah. But, yeah. but you can't. Like you said, Mom, you can tantrum all you want. The person's not coming back. That's right. But I love that metaphor. I love that symbol of the tantrum because it's so real. Uh, people have said they fall into a well or they feel like they're a tree without a limb or there's an empty space or a roller coaster ride. Well, for me, it's, it's the palette of grief. And, and so what I've done is I've taken that word grief, G-R-I-E-F, and I've basically broke it down to G representing growth, R resiliency, I identity, E empowerment, and F flexibility. And that's how I help those who come to me for support, by just focusing on the positive, focusing first on the growth. Now, when do you think people can do that? I mean, if you had, you know, could you have done that right after your father uh, shot himself? No, no. In the beginning, in the beginning of, of this intense type of grief, the most important thing is just learning how to breathe. Mm-hmm. It just comes to helping the person breathe and take a breath. They can't focus. 
We've got a great one for you, and that is somebody gave us this tip. Buy yourself some bubbles and blow bubbles. Oh, yes. Because you have to breathe. Yes. And you have to concentrate. That's a great tip. That sounds like Darcy Sims, right? Yeah, initially, what initially as grievers, what we need is acknowledgement and validation that it is very difficult and it sucks and it's horrible, and kind of meeting us there. And then after a while, like you said, building on strengths and what's working and and finding hope again. It's all about hope, but but recognizing that you can't get through the process. You can't just skip over the painful parts. It is. It. it I, people don't know that haven't had a profound loss. It is suffering. True suffering. True suffering. It, right. It's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Uh, the intensity. Yeah. Right, it's you, a physical. I always say it's a physical, emotional, and psychological assault on our bodies. Oh, it is an assault. Truly, mm-hmm. they are not the same person that they were prior to the loss. No. You know? And that's why we can help them grow. You know, your listeners are naturally strong. They might have experienced an intense, horrible blow, but they are strong, and they have the persistence to become even stronger if they just get through the breathing and the bubbles and whatever else it's going to take to get through the moment. And well, they let's can talk about suicide a little bit because you've mm-hmm. written this wonderful book, but I didn't get to say goodbye, Helping Families uh, After Suicide. And, and it's a wonderful book because you take it from the point of view of a child. Mm-hmm. And, Alex, uh, age 11, right, Mom? Yeah, what, what, isn't a child's a child's when he's Yeah, he's about 10 or 11. He's yeah, and, child, and you take yeah. it through the, 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 the event and the first year and all that kind of thing. But I love the fact that you talk about grandparents in it. It's, it's a great book. And how do you talk about the questions at the end? Cause I know you really Yeah, like I love, Barbara, I love the way that you've written each chapter. And then at the end, at the end of each chapter, there's wonderful questions you can talk, you can ask the kids about. Yes. Great. I mean, like if, if you've ever had a nightmare, how did it make you feel? Mm-hmm. You know, that's the idea of, and I, and it's a great way to get dialogue started around loss. Or, you know, have you ever been angry, you know, et cetera, and to normalize and validate what the kids are going through and to get more information from them. That's exactly right, because it's important to use the book as a guide. This is what's happening to the character in the book. And now that is the foundation from which I can now share and talk about your loss with the child. Right. It, it helps them to uh, move a little bit away from it, get a little bit of distance. So you're, you have kind of the book there. So, you know, you don't have to say, well, your uncle, uh, how do you feel about him killing himself or something like that? You know, you That's can exactly read a right. chapter and say, this is what happened to this kid. What do you think? That's exactly it. Right on point. So, but I didn't say goodbye is a vehicle for family members and professionals to use to be able to talk to the person that they're sitting with because that's the most important thing. Right. Now, how are people going to get your book? You've got a website. Yes. Um, they could purchase it through Compassion Books, Amazon.com, or on my website, GriefWorkCenter.com. Great. And what's wonderful is the new version just came out a couple of months ago. It was originally 2000, the first edition, and in 2009, the end of the year, the brand new version just came out. So it's been updated with brand new resources in the back. It's a great book for those who have experienced sudden violent death. And it has a great testimonial from somebody I know, Heidi Horsley, on the back of it. <laughs> it's a fabulous book. Thank you, Heidi. <laughs> Anytime. It's, one, it's wonderful. And, you know, so many parents out there, have questions around how do I talk to kids about suicide? Mm-hmm. You know, and this is such a great 
book on how to do that because it is a hard topic to, to bring up with kids. They don't want to talk about it. And you can re-victimize the child if you don't because they will find out. They will find out. Children are smarter than we are, believe me. And if we are not honest with them, a few years will pass and they'll find out from an aunt, an uncle, a cousin, a neighbor, or read something somewhere, and that's just not fair. Right. Um, I know you say in the back of the book, uh, uh that one of the things that people have the right to know is the truth about it. And other guests that we've had who've come on have said that where suicide's been involved, people have the right to know the details, the facts, and what happened. So, of course, you know, with uh, age constraints about how much information, you know, you dole out to a five-year-old or whatever. So, But those are some of the great things that you can get from looking at Barbara's information. Heidi and I were saying how great this book is, and I highly recommend it if you've got a suicide in the family or if you just want to, if you're a school teacher and you want to get ideas about, um, you know, how to help kids. It's got mm-hmm. great, it's written from a child's point of view, and it's got great questions, and it's just, and it's also got a lot of good resources in the back. But, Barbara, I, I was looking through your book, and, and I was talking to you about your dad's suicide uh, in 1986, when you had triplets, and I, I didn't find much mention of your mother, in fact, like none, and I wondered what that was all about. I was doing a lot of radio for several years, um, talking about, but I didn't say goodbye, as well as my other book, Through Western Schools. It's a 30-hour continuing education course book for nurses, death, dying, and bereavement. And so I was on the radio pushing my books, and I was talking at one point about the suicide of my dad. Well, I did not realize that my mom at the time was listening in. She called me right after the radio program, and she was so upset. She said, Barbara, I understand you're out there, you're an author, you want to sell your books, you want, you want to do this for others, but you told Dad, you told everyone that Daddy killed himself. Now, everyone knows, all my neighbors know. I don't want people to know. This is terrible. She was so upset. There was such shame and stigma in the fact that People now knew that her husband killed himself. I was, I was talking about my dad, but it was also her husband. So there's great shame and stigma for certain age groups, especially older people, where you know the stigma of suicide was just torturous on them. Now, how do you deal with that? I mean, what if now, uh, if, if I had a family member killed themselves and, uh, and my other family members, I, I'm sure there are many people out there whose family members either don't want to talk about it or are mad at them because they and, are. And I know a lot of people, Mom, that don't believe children should know. Yeah, I think we have to follow our own truth and belief system and value system. If I truly believe it's the best thing to tell children, and if I truly believe it's the best thing for me to get on the radio and share my beliefs with others, then those in my family, my friends, people who do not share my beliefs will just have to deal with it. Well, Barbara, you're saving lives. If yes. we keep this a secret, we cannot build awareness and, and let people know, okay, these are the signs, you know, this is what depression looks like. I mean, we can't build awareness about suicide and prevent other people from taking their lives. That's absolutely right. It's absolutely right. And, and sadly, the way I got into this was because my father killed himself. Several years ago, I was in an Emmy Award-winning video called Fatal Mistakes, Families Shattered by Suicide, which is sold through the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Now, I was very proud that that won an Emmy. That was, I mean, how exciting to even be included in something of such significance. But my father killed himself for me to be a part of that. So it comes from such a sad place. 
But I think that the bereaved can take that death, that loss, that intense grief, and do something powerful with it. It is and, very, you know, I think the, the uh, intensity of what happened produces a huge power on the other side if you can come out and use that, because it, it is an incredibly intense experience. You know, although grief can zap your power, you can reach into your inner strength, which can move you from a place of weakness to power and from pain to passion. I am so passionate about helping others. I'm a consultant with the Department of Justice Office for Victims of Crime, and I've talked with advocates who were personally touched by violent crime and homicide, and they've become empowered because of it and are passionate about helping others. So whether it's a suicide, a homicide, or any type of loss, you can take that power, that passion, and not only help yourself, but guide so many others. Well, I also say, Barbara, you know, we can channel our anger in productive, positive ways after loss. Yes. Anger is powerful. Mm Mm-hmm, it is. If, if if you direct it not against people but against you know against becoming causes. an advocate or a cause you know getting yeah. behind a cause etc. One That's of our right? guests, Barbara, calls it a helper's high. Oh, it's true. <laughs> it's true. Isn't that great? Well, Norman Vincent Peale says, "Change your thoughts, and you can change the world." Mm-hmm. And that's what your radio program does. Yeah, you're the changing other the world one person at a time. The other uh, thing my friend Byron Katie says is, "Do it yourself and teach the world." Oh, yes. Isn't she wonderful? Katie's a great person. Yes, yes. So uh, let's talk a little bit more. I'm out there. Uh, I've just had a suicide help. Mm -hmm. Well, there are wonderful organizations dedicated to helping you. You could click on to the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. I served on their New Jersey chapter for several years. There are support groups that you just click on your state and find a support group in your area. So number one, I recommend support groups for those who are bereaved by suicide. There are also some great books on suicide postvention and aftercare and reading about other stories from other suicide survivors. So going on to Compassion Books or Centering, these are two great sites for bereavement material. Reaching out to others who get it. Most people don't get it. So in support groups and reading material and your faith community, finding a good friend, that's the way to go. And you can also write a book like Barbara did. Or there you go. <laughs> Barbara, I want to ask you a question. What did you learn about yourself from writing this book? That I am resilient, mm-hmm. that I have the capacity to bounce back from loss, and that I have a great sense of humor. And I, I, I follow, you know, Red Skelton, many of your listeners may not remember him. I'm getting too old. But Red Skelton lived by the credo, have a little laugh and look around you for happiness instead of sadness. Laughter has always brought me out of unhappy situations. Even in your darkest moment, you usually can find something to laugh about if you try hard enough. Some of the the most hideous parts of these losses, uh, there's some humor that comes out of it that only the family would laugh at, right? Well, well, I remember when we buried my brother, and we buried him with so much stuff in that coffin. (laughs) I mean, it all had to go. His favorite this and his favorite that, and we had to wear a jet shirt. 
It's Did wonderful. he wear a New York Jets shirt? He, he wore his New York Jets shirt because he's a Jets fan. And, and he had a oh, baseball uniform on. Totally. And we're sitting there at the funeral going, oh, my God, the coffin, it's going to open because there's so much stuff in this. <laughs> Charlie McCarthy doll will be out. Yeah, oh. We're kind of having our own laugh around it because yes. things are It's things so sad. It's funny. Ways. Yes, yes. It, and like it, you said, it's so healing because humor is an emotion. It's a way for us to release emotion. It's true. And, and a lot of my keynotes now focus on compassion fatigue, where I am helping the helper. And one of the things I focus on is maintaining your sense of humor. Have gallows humor in order to cope with the tragedies of those who are bereaved by suicide and homicide and other types of loss. Well, we have to take care of ourselves. The 9-11 widows that I've been working with for eight years now, they do, you know, they have they have, have a lot of groups, and a lot. They said it's so refreshing because they can get in these groups, and they're, even early on they could laugh. And they said they couldn't do it outside of these groups because people would have thought, "Why are you laughing? You've had a loss." And they're, you and you know, they're dealing with murder, as we talked about on our show last week. You know, we're going to have to close our show now, Barbara. Have you got one last parting thought for our audience out there? Well, I think Henry Nguyen says it best when we honestly ask ourselves which person in our lives mean the most to us. We often find that it is those who, instead of giving advice, solutions, or cures, have chosen rather to share our pain and touch our wounds with a warm and tender hand. Uh, thank you, and you've certainly done that today. And thanks so much for being on the show. You have been listening to Open to Hope Radio. You can sign up for our newsletter, Facebook, and Twitter on our homepage at opentohope.com.